When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, July 20th, 2023. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky. I'm coming off of, you know, I've spent the last three or four days now that I've finished The Coven of Water, really mm-hmm. close reading the six-part Oprah-produced <laughs> podcast. Have you? Really going over line by line. Um <laughs> Well, you watch it once to just get the feel of it. Then you watch it. Then you listen and watch again to take notes and really absorb it. So, this is, um, this is that's now an Oprah right recap podcast, right? Oh, we're going to talk about more Oprah stuff in a second. I was going to do Frontlist Foyer first because it's a little okay. bit newsy in this regard. We're coming to the end. In all seriousness, we did have a couple of listeners email <laughs> said I didn't know what you were talking about, and so I checked out the Oprah coverage <laughs> of Coming Water, and oh my god, you were kind of underselling it. Uh, <laughs> Six parts, there's a lot. baby. Six parts yeah. so far. And then and then there's the other. There's the short form, the SFV. Mm-hmm. Short form video where she like is going into Barnes & Noble and just buying people copies of... Yeah, just taking her wallet of, out, of water. buying them books. Just buying it. Um, so I read the book. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, we have speculated, uh, and we're kind of waiting until I had read the book as well to do a full, you know, mm-hmm. put your chips on the table guess about what the hell happened. With Random House and Vergese, right? Because basically, he's under contract with Random House. In 2013. It took a million years. 2013 has a huge advance, I would guess, a mid-seven figures, because Cutting for Stone yes. sold a ton. It was I'm guessing five it's a million. big advance. Five million, right. Good. All right, you did some of the homework, so you may have this stuff ready. at the ready. And so I'd asked you, because you, you read it before I did, and there's one character... Um, well, there's more than one character, and that's a note I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, there's one character that has a, a condition as described in the book as cretinism, and you suggested that maybe there was – it could have been possible that someone in the random house says, that's not how we talk about people with this condition. You know, this isn't cool. We're not going to do it. And you said he d- doesn't feel right because it's within the context of the world, and this this character is treated very humanely and gently, and you know is, is has the condition, but is also not a circus freak, right? That's right. not how this it's, portrayal is actually happening. Right. It's the condition that we would now describe as Down syndrome, and the physician yep. in the book, like this is like 1900, 1920, and so that physician right. is using the terminology that was accepted at the time, and that was the really only piece of content that I could find that I thought maybe you could hang a hook on somebody mm-hmm. being worried about you know being offensive and like maybe that became the source of something but I I, I kind of ultimately landed on I don't think it's about that where did you land I don't I don't think it's about that either my only other idea and it's not content related except that there's too much of it mm. I think they told him to cut 250 pages which would have been that's reasonable. my working theory because the book is very long, and there's a lot of backstory, and you will depart from main branches or where you thought were main <laughs> branches for 150 pages and come back, and you won't remember who the people are mm-hmm. or where they are or what happened. 
And I could see a world in which someone at Random House said, Abraham, listen, this is an amazing book. It spans multiple generations, and there's, there's a lot of water. You really nailed the water part of Covenant of Water. You got plenty of water in there, a lot of trees. There's some art. Um, you got plenty of maladies in there, plenty of conditions, plenty of uh, cancerous things and things swollen and punctures and whatever. But we need about 27% less of it. Can you cut this storyline? Can you trim this part down? And I think he wouldn't do it. And they said, you know, we're not going to do it as is. And that was the parting of the ways. That's some, now, I think there's a less than 50% chance that is true. Yeah. I think if I had to bet on a secret third thing, I would bet on the secret third thing. Yeah. The the secret third thing that I've seen speculated about in our contributor Slack was someone pointed out that the title it was announced with when the deal, when the $5 million deal was announced in yeah. 2013 was different from the Covenant of Water. And like this happens. It's not, this does happen. it's not necessarily a sign of anything that a book is ultimately published with a different title than it had in the announcement that was made, like somewhere between 18 months and three years before mm-hmm. it came out. That that happens. But it's it does open the door for speculation in a situation where we're already speculating that maybe that was a completely different book and PRH didn't want mm. it because this i think it was also liberty noted that verghese says somewhere he wrote this like starting in 2020 and that grove published it now i was not able to find any record of a deal announcement for a new verghese yeah. book in 2020 so my best guess is that the book that came out is still some version of the book that he was making the deal for in 2013 but there are that that's a third possibility and then there are uh innumerable other secret possibilities right. we haven't unknown unknowns <laughs> yeah maybe it was some interpersonal thing maybe editors got shuffled and he was unhappy who who knows uh but yeah. that, it's a it's a big deal and as you pointed out we also don't know like did he have to give back that five million dollar mm-hmm. advance what did grove pay for this I don't know. My biggest question is how much, like, this book is performing. It's doing well. It's on the bestseller list. Oprah has been hyping it for, uh, like, almost three months now. (laughs) Um, How much more would it be selling if it were not 735 pages is a real question. That's a wonderful question. I I hadn't thought about, you know, how much of the ceiling has been lowered because it's a big, I mean, it's a big looking book. (laughs) It yeah, looks big when you're in the does. store. It's it's it, it looks like it's, a substantial commitment. It's a project, and I think it's wise for Oprah to spread this project out as basically like the summer reading pick rather than one every summer. But like this, yeah. it, that length <laughs> makes it hard to recommend. My mom reads most of the Oprah picks. She liked Hello Beautiful by Ann Napolitano. She texted me last night and said, "What else should I read?" And I was like, "You know, in the vein of the kind of stuff you normally read, here's the next Oprah pick. But also, like maybe go take a look at." at it and see what you think it's really long good luck yeah but if with the text in front of me if i'm only presented with the text in front of me as the body of evidence um to deduce the reason for the shift Mm -hmm. in houses the storm and drunk yeah those i'm picking the length i'm not picking the creepism i could be wrong i think it's someone some kind of substantial cut was requested yeah. And he didn't want to do it or they weren't happy and that led to animosity. And it, so- it sounds like it's a personal story to him. Like, you know, well, as I've consumed 97 hours of ancillary coverage of the Coven of Water, it's a very per- – did you know it's about family, Rebecca? <laughs> I did had you know that? Did you catch that in the book? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if you got that. <laughs> um, 
let's take a let's take a break and we'll do some other stuff uh, after the sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I have a listener email follow-up, but it's a tease because I've been asked by this person to wait a week to talk about this. Okay. Um, Because they were providing some information about something and wasn't sure they had the consent of those people and they wanted to go collect it and say, give me a week. And it's an interesting story. Um, I can tell you offline if you want to preview, but of course uh, I do. This is a tease for things coming here. You can read. You're looking in the agenda, so you okay. can see kind of the directionality of it. There, uh, kind of a follow up. We got a shout out from Oprah Daily, a nice writer there named Charlie Burlock. So this was the best book. Um, this is the best book podcast for every kind of reader. Uh, we would we get rid up written up in lines like this, you know, from time to time. You know, here's a list. Um, so our kind of reader, listener, I'll, I'll let you guess. There is one, two, three, four, five kinds of readers here. I guess this encompasses all kinds of readers. I'm just giving Charlie a little ribbing here. It's a good piece. There's the rabble for the rabble rouser, for the trendsetter, for the super fan, for the retro reader, or for the Oprah's book club <laughs> loyalist. Those are the five, the five choices. <laughs> this is a news and talk show about Oprah's book club. So, <laughs> I mean, it just was. Got a lot of mileage out of that. We're so those are your four choices. Uh, I'm going to give you, you know, Jeopardy theme music. I don't think I can even hum it without violating copyright, so I won't do that. Uh, we're for the trendsetter, Rebecca. How about that? I love it. I love it. I loved yeah. this write-up. Um, when we were talking about it offline, you said what basically exactly what my thoughts about it were, that sometimes in these like podcast pieces, people have just taken a little clip from like the way that we write the show up or whatever, like the header that appears mm-hmm. in iTunes. But we can tell her this seems like Charlie actually listens to the show, gets what we're doing, appreciates our hot takes. In, yes. in at least some capacity. So thank you for listening, Charlie. And thanks for making us feel cool. I'm not sure I've ever been called a trendsetter. I'll take it. <sighs> no. It's never too late. No. <laughs> yeah, we were we were doing an icebreaker for a company call recently, and we were sharing our original screen names. And mine was just my initials, right? It's like, uh-huh. that's like uh-huh. somehow less cool than being called Wheat Brand. Um, <laughs> it was very, very boring. So I've never called a trendsetter. Before. Drink your Ovaltine at AOL.com. Yeah. These other podcasts are really good. I don't listen to much book podcasting for pleasure because I do enough mm-hmm, books. Same. But I do know Glory Edom's uh, Well-Read Black Girl is on here. Backlist is very good if you want to talk about specific books. Book Fight. Um, these are This is good company uh, to have. So you yes. check that out. Oh, and thanks to our listener, uh, Chrissy, who sent this along to me this morning. And I snagged it. And you made us feel good. And thank you so much for thinking of us. When you saw that, the big, well, the big news this morning, you didn't put it on the agenda, the layoff stuff, but I think we need to talk about it a little bit because PRH cut 60 jobs and some of them are quite high profile. The name you and I know the most is the editor of of Riverhead. These aren't going to be names that people out here listen to this show really know. I'll I'll find a link to put in the show notes. But these are a lot of senior people. editorial people mm-hmm. at Knopf Doubleday 
Um, this was the there's speculation in the piece that was in New York Magazine, and it's been all over the place. But like this was Sonny Mehta's battalion, right? And he he retired and then passed away. And there's been shuffling there, and there's the writ large shuffling at PRH after the failed merger with SNS. There's a new regime there, and as happens sometimes, there was a cleaning of the publishing house. And this happens in many businesses. There's been a lot of speculation. You know, one thing Book Twitter likes to do, I, I'm not here just to bag on this um, on Book Twitter, though I guess I am. You know what people are good at is running other people's businesses. <laughs> have you noticed that? Uh-huh. Everyone seems to be better at running any any <laughs> business other than what they're doing. Um, I have noticed that. They're good at running other people's businesses, planning other people's podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been spending, on spending other years. people's money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, corporations get it wrong, get it right all the time. They don't. Um, and it's very, you know, I think this is upsetting to a lot of people. There was also Inkyard Press, which is a YA imprint of HarperCollins, was dismissed in totality yesterday. Um, I don't know if they were coming into the cloud cover that the PRH storm mm. caused or not. Um, but that, you know, there's there's orphaned authors there who have books coming out from Inkyard Press. I don't know. I, I feel a great deal of sympathy um, for the people involved there. A couple of publicists I've been working with recently for upcoming first edition bookings got laid off, and they were very kind to be like, "I'm today's my last day Ugh. at PRH, and I'm passing you off there. So I don't want to name any names, but if, if you are listening, and I, I think you might be, um, you know who we are, and thank you so much for your, for your grace, and I apologize that. I have to be at least one of your punch lists on the way out the door yeah, awesome. um, to deal with. Um, you know, I I've no, I don't think I've ever said this, and I haven't done too much working with book publicists, though I do increasingly more. I've always found them to be very competent yes. and warm and game. You know, I, I, they're, they're good at their job, they seem to me, mm-hmm. um, especially dealing with someone like me and my bespoke requests. And I'm not Terry Gross, and I'm not Oprah. Um, even though, you know, we're the trendsetters know who we are, right? Uh, <laughs> but I've always found them to be, you know, really game. And they will respond to me, um, even if it's to say, no, thank you. Uh, they'll always say it kindly. And so, anyway, I'm, I don't like anyone to yeah. lose their jobs. So that, that's really going on. I don't know what else to read into this. There are the, there are the, the chicken little sky. Well, you only, call, you only call someone chicken little if you know the sky isn't falling. Right. And I'm just saying I knew I don't. <sighs> Is there much to read into this? People are like, publishing is broken. I can't believe this industry. I don't know that publishing is much different today than it was six months ago, to be honest with you. I mean, I think most of the commentary around these things is usually an exercise in confirmation bias for whoever is writing the piece. Um, Because there's a lot going on, and there's always a lot going on it's a big industry and we live in like this is a country with a complex economic situation it's more complex as we're emerging from the pandemic like there's one read on this that is publishing had a couple really flush years through covid and that's ebbing now and when you're not making as much money as you were making before maybe you have hired too many people like i think there's a read of this that's okay this is the publishing version of what we saw happen in tech at the beginning of this year Mm -hmm. Um, companies had expanded and now have to cut back with prh there's also the palace intrigue of what's going on because of the failed merger um this the intelligencer piece from new york magazine speculates that you know there is like a younger crop of 
editors and publicists and marketers, like folks coming up in publishing that have been waiting for this old guard to go out and that this might not be a totally bad thing. There's new blood Mm. to come up. And this is one way that um, the biggest publishing house in the country is going to potentially become more diverse because now there's a lot more room at the top. People have got to move into those top positions. That's going to open up middle positions. People will move into those that will open up lower level positions. It could be a lot of things. Um, it's never fun to have to make this kind of decision, no. and we only have to make it in a company of 20 people. I can't yep. imagine having to make this decision for a company this size, for people that you've worked with for decades. No matter like you, no matter your take on like corporations and capitalism, it's not a fun day to tell somebody that they don't have a job anymore. And so I, I reject the like the Twitter reading of like any layoff anywhere is evil on its face or for uh, nefarious purposes <laughs> on its mm-hmm. face. There's not a great way to conduct them. Uh, I there are ways that are better than others. Um, yeah. I've seen some criticism about the way the Inkyard press closing was handled. Like, but it a is a mass email and that's it. We'll see yeah, you later. Boy, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's not great. Um, I think it's less likely that they were that Harper Collins made that announcement under the cover of PRH because to make any decision like that and then get all your ducks in oh. a row to announce it yeah. takes a lot of time and planning. Um, that these things are all happening right now kind of indicates to me somebody's been talking about these for probably several months. Right. Um, Mid-July is just when we happen. Like, it's, you know, this conversation at least probably began at the end of Q2. And now we're halfway, you know, into Q3. People are looking at what the rest of the year is going to be like. It's It's tough. I don't think it means anything necessarily other than businesses ebb and flow and people who run those businesses have to make decisions about the best way forward the big turnover at prh i think is going to be really interesting to watch um but i i don't know that we can draw that we can or should draw any big conclusions about what this means for for penguin random house or for publishing writ large other than like these things happen in the same way that like there's a recession every eight to ten years that happens Mm -hmm. and there are fallout there's fallout effects from that and there'd been you know there'd been buyouts offered to a certain cohort Mm -hmm. i think a certain level of seniority and you got a package and some people took them um and some people didn't i don't know what the deal is like you didn't take the buyout package and then you get laid off do you get the same deal that was offered to the people that that took it out not usually like that's the incentive to take the buyout in most cases right so you 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 spin the roulette wheel. I wonder how many of these people are, are surprised that their name was pulled out of the hat, um, or whatever happened. It, it looks to me, and I I'm not as insider as much as uh, Oprah Daly says we're insiders. <laughs> we're not insiders to the degree that we know these people by you know by sight. We know some of them by name. It looks to me that it is these are people that have been with these imprints for decades, and these are people with serious catalogs, serious. Um, publishing credentials in terms of books that they help put out into the world. Again, you can look at the pieces and find there. And I, I don't know. It seemed to me that people are like, there was no reading of this that like this was a good move by publishing. It, and which is funny because like there were both takes, which was some version of this, that these people are really experienced and this is dumb. How dare you? And at the same time, that publishing doesn't know what it's doing. Uh-huh. Because they, these people are publishing. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't know that it can be both retrograde and cutting edge yeah. and bad because that's like seems to be the take that it is. 
you know, some, a new CEO comes in. This happens in, in many, many kinds of businesses. One reason you have a new CEO is because you want to do things differently. Right. Those new people tend to have less of an attachment to the people that are there. And that can be good or bad. I mean, it's bad if you're getting laid off, and, and many times it is bad. But there's a different marching order to come in with. And I don't know what their cost structures look like. These are privately held. No, I'm sorry. These are for-profit corporations. Um, Penguin has Random House happens to be owned by Bertelsmann, which is a giant German corporation. And I'm guessing this CEO was told by some of the Bertelsmann board, we want this amount of profitability next year. And they're looking around and like, these people that have been here for 40 years, they're probably getting paid a whole hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. And I want I want a different kind of vision here rather than one that's institutionalized. I can understand. I, I, I'm never going to evaluate a decision like this because even in our little world, we know enough about running a business that you don't know. You really don't know anything. It's like other people's relationships. Like you think you might have some sense of other people's relationships, but you, don't you really yeah. don't. Here, I really don't. I, I admit to being surprised by some of the names. Um. And that's kind of that's the end of my judgment because I just don't yeah, know enough to have much more of a reaction than that. It is. There's a there's a name on the list of folks who took the buyout who like when I started book blogging, I was told like yeah. you can get on this person's li- this person's publicity list. They're a really big deal. They'll be an end to mm-hmm. things. And like some of that stuff is not true. You know, like the, <laughs> also the longer you're in media, the longer you figure out yeah. like. Very few people actually have that kind of power or clout, Um, especially when you're doing like independent media the way that we do. We're not trying to get, you know, like an exclusive interview with the top author that that comes from this publishing house. Um, But, you know, I've got I've had relationships, email relationships and chat with you at party relationships with a couple of these folks. And it is weird to think like, oh, I'm not going to see that name show up in my inbox twice a week. like it has been for the last 15 years. <laughs> right. Um, that's a bummer. And also it means that there's space for something else. Um, and I think these things mm-hmm. are almost always mixed like that. There will be some downside to losing this much institutional knowledge and wisdom. And there will probably be some upside to fresh voices. And as you were saying, people coming into leadership positions who are not attached to the way we've always done things and are open to trying some new stuff. Um, Sometimes that's what you have to do to make change is, you know, move out the people who are less likely to be open to the change because they've been there through all of the old ways. Um, Yeah. That doesn't make it fun. That doesn't make it easy. I I don't think that there is a clear one clear message about this or one clear way to interpret it. Um, and to try to boil it down to a take is you know, the internet doing that thing that the internet likes to do, but that it yeah. lacks nuance. The one that makes my eyes cross is on Monday, if you'd asked most people who are prone to pontificate about these things, if they think writ large publishing is doing a good job, they would have said no, right? right? Just they would say no. Mm-hmm. And then you lay off a bunch of people who are kind of the living representation of publishing. Right. And like, well, that was a mistake. (laughs) I'm like, wait, what do you, I I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I I can agree, I can understand not agreeing with it, but like if you want publishing to be different and yet 
getting rid of the people that are have been the stewards of it in a you know in a microcosm way. These are just you know metonyms for the publishing industry. These are not publishing. It's like I don't know how you you square that circle of both of those things true at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I mean like the headline from the New York Magazine piece is the old guard is out. And so like if you've been yeah. saying that the industry is broken, you should be glad that the old guard right. is out because the old guard is ostensibly responsible for the mm-hmm. things that are broken. It's it is very. It's interesting to watch those takes happen. That yeah. one crossed my eyes well, a little bit, too. Well, I think, and this I'm going to segue into the best-selling books of 2023 so far. We're going to run over these real quick. I do think there's a frustration, and I've, I've expressed this to myself, that all, all the discourse and all the effort and publicity and what efforts have been made at change to make publishing more inclusive mm-hmm. and the downstream of the goal of making people at the goal of making the people that work at publishers more representative of the kind of people that exist is not to have people in those chairs make the same kind of books. I mean, I guess that would be better than anyway, but the the goal is eventually for there to be different kind of books to be made, different kinds of books to sell well, different kind of authors that can make some money and different kind of narratives that are out there than we have. And with all the discourse that's happened over the last Really, since we've been doing that, I mean, and probably before, yeah. and people have been talking about this, but like the real internet discourse and cultural discourse that's trickled into up, down, all around. You look at the best-selling books, Rebecca, and it looks like nothing's changed. It yeah. looks like nothing's it, damn changed. It does look like nothing's changed. And the you know the annual surveys that Publishers Weekly does of salaries and diversity in the industry, those yeah. are showing some change, but very right. small incremental change. Like this is something that opens up possibility for more systemic change. Like th- this is a systemic change. Removing the old guard is a change to the system. Yeah. And we've also seen this year, you know, successful efforts by you know the unions to lobby publishers for better starting wages for yeah. folks that money has to come from somewhere like you could you know pay a lot of people on the lower levels of publishing a lot more money without having to lay off like your entire old guard but you can definitely boost starting salaries and maybe improve salaries throughout the industry or throughout your giant publishing house if you are trimming how much people are making at the very top or coming back to like a more reasonable, a a lower starting place there so that there's not so much discrepancy between the highest paid and the lowest paid people in the house. I don't know that that's what they're doing, but it's one possibility and having a a more sustainable starting salary and more opportunities to move up through the company is one way to not just attract more diverse talent, but keep more diverse talent that can lead to selling more diverse kinds of books and having something for the best-selling books of the year that's not a list of 19 books by white people. Yeah. Well, and and I think the the flip side of that coin, and I, I keep banging this drum, is there's only so much the publishing industry can do because there are way more books right. available by marginalized voices than, than were 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But people don't buy them in the same breaks. I mean, we're looking at this. I'm not going to... Publishers Weekly, they do a great job with this. Go look at the full list. I'm not even going to go down one by one. But there's adult, children's, and YA. And my cursory glance, I see one person of color amongst the 40 names. Well, there's not 40 names because there's multiple Colleen Hoovers and Dr. Seuss. But but 40 titles, one of them is by a person of color. And it's number – and auspiciously, it's number Number 20, 20. the last one on the adult list. Mm -hmm. And – 
for the people that think publishing isn't doing enough, I agree with you. But the that is not the same as publishing and do it all itself. People aren't buying the books. I don't know what to say. Yeah. The the systemic racism is systemic for a reason. It's not systemic and it's just one part. It's just the publishing supply side. Demand side is racist too. Yeah. And that doesn't look yeah. like it's changed a goddamn and bit by looking at this list. Because the demand side is so driven by algorithms and algorithms yes. or are word trained. of mouth. Right. And algorithms yeah. and word of mouth are informed by and trained on the systems that exist. You know, so like really, unless TikTok decides that in its ability to put its finger on the scale for what gets juiced by the algorithm, they're going to start, you know, really juicing up the videos about some books that are by people of color. We're going to continue to see this like this is it's just another round of like the public opinion regresses to the mean. It's just another version of if you let the public vote on their favorite novel, it's always going to be to kill a mockingbird. (laughs) Like, until there is real change, like real, real systemic change writ large in society, you got to have some editorial discretion or some ways to not just put out more books by diverse voices, but weight some things to their advantage as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's only so much. If publishing could make something a bestseller, it would make everything a bestseller. I mean, this is the this is, you know, the game theory of it. Right. They can put their money and marketing implicitly publicity might behind it but there's really only so much they can do and once it's in the marketplace the marketplace tends to have a life of its own especially when it comes to culture and in a way it's i mean i think i said this at the end of the year it's one of the more depressing lineups i've ever seen i think it's really influenced by the fact that most of the time when someone becomes a giant word of mouth sensation like colleen hoover has they don't have a backlist of 19 other books that people can go to and yeah. she did, and she got huge in the way that she got huge on TikTok, and people went to her backlist. And so you've got like, ha- like what, a third of this top 20 adult One, fiction book? One, two, is three, four, five, six out of yeah. 20 yeah. for the almost a third. Yeah. Almost a third. That doesn't normally happen. You know, if it had been, let's say, Bonnie Garmus and Lessons in yep. Chemistry go bonkers on TikTok, that's the only Bonnie Garmus book there is. So well, in Doubleday, I mean, we were just talk, talking about the Knopf Doubleday group. Like that's their that was their big hit. Their big upmarket right. fiction hit of the year is Lessons in Chemistry. And I got to tell you, I don't think it's anything publishing did to make less. No. I mean, they put it out there, but that took on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that had real word of mouth behind it. That had real word of mouth. So I don't know. I, I I'm definitely frustrated. I, I feel a lot of the people's frustrations. Like it seems like there seems like we know so much more. People's intentions are good. Like we know we know so much more about it's, what could what is possible or we want to be possible and what and yet this is the these are the you know we know the way we feel like the game should be played or the results of the game should be but we're still getting dealt these hands over and over again right at the moment like maybe that's the doubly dispiriting piece Mm. is that at the moment where it felt like the industry quote-unquote was turning its head in the right direction the secondary force came in and just wiped it away yeah just wipes it away through the force of the algorithm on TikTok in short form video on Instagram. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with this next year and into maybe 2025 because there is not another ascendant TikTok hit. Like, it does not look like there's going to be another Colleen Hoover. (laughs) No. Maybe eventually, but it, it really doesn't look like things are going that direction. And that means that this like this Colleen Hoover sensation it, 
has been cooling off. It will, I think, continue to cool off. Like she's yeah. going to stay a big deal for a while. But in 2012, it felt like E.L. James was going to be a big deal forever. And we are here 11 years later and E.L. James is no longer a big deal. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the, the closest comp we had in the pre-TikTok short form video era for the big word of mouth hits was where the crawdads sing. Yeah. And it was longer and bigger than you can imagine. And these hits are even bigger and longer. Mm-hmm. They just, the, 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 the peaks are higher and the mountain range is, right. is a longer like span. 18 to 24 months. Colleen Hoover is yeah. ending her second year now as the, like the queen of it. Third it, it maybe, depending on yeah. how you count. Yeah. It won't go on forever. Um, who ends up in all these spots when six of them are not occupied by Colleen Hoover mm-hmm. will be interesting to see. I hope it is a greater. And I don't know what the next voices. 20 or 40 or 50, because right. those books still a lot of, move a lot of units too. And, you know, sometimes when people point out that look, the unbearable whiteness of algorithms, they're like, well, there are some hits. There's some, there's some people of uh, marginalized voices that have had some success, but it's not on the same scale by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And, so much of the publishing industry is subsidized by these titles. I mean, I'm not, and that's not a metaphor. Like no. these titles, these Literally, giant selling yeah. titles. Um, that it feels like until these lists look a lot different consistently, mm-hmm. it's just going to feel like we're not there yet. And I guess that's I guess that's the truth um, of it. So it's interesting to look at these the changes afoot at these certain places and with the results of the publishing industry on the bestseller list is what's interesting is we don't have David Baldacci or Daniel Silva or Nora Roberts or James Mm -hmm. Patterson. I think that's, that's pretty interesting. Are these meaningfully more desirable for me to be what took it? Boy, I don't know. It's like, it's like the thing about the genie. You wish for something. It's like, boy, I wish it wasn't all, you know, James Patterson's and this like, well, yeah, I guess this is, the ascendancy of commercial paperback romance, I guess, is at least different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there yeah, you it, go. And I'm having the uh, the chorus to an Amy Grant song from my childhood running in my oh, head right okay. now, where she says yeah. it takes a little time to get the Titanic turned back around. <laughs> and like this Titanic was never pointed in the right direction in the first place. <laughs> so yeah. we're not even turning it back around. We're just trying to turn, and it it really does help me to remember how big and how old this industry is and then how big and how old this system that we all live inside is and this list is discouraging this list has looked better like it has been less white it has looked better i do think we can attribute the incredible whiteness of this list to tiktok and what algorithms do and that's you know we should all be having a bigger and more nuanced conversation about how much power we want these algorithms to have in our lives. But I, I don't think this list is going to look this way forever. I am heartened by what the Publishers Weekly salary surveys show every year. It's small mm-hmm. growth, but it is growth. It is improvement. Like It is, you know, one pebble in the jar at a time still adds up to yep. the jar getting full. It never happens as fast as we want it to. And so I think if you're if you're finding yourself really discouraged, like that's that's okay. I'm not going to tell you, like, don't feel that way. I, I do think there are pieces of evidence that there's still a lot of possibility that publishing is becoming increasingly populated with people who care about this and are going to buy these books and publish them and the next step is the how do we get the general reading public to buy more of those books and to throw their support behind them in the way that they've thrown their support behind you know a pretty blonde middle-aged white lady it was from the land of anecdata um Mm -hmm. i was at pal's 
as I am a couple times a week, a few times a week. And it's a beautiful morning in Portland here the other day. Um, and, you know, at the Powell's on Hawthorne, don't be creepy. They have some coffee tables set out or t- tables outside to drink coffee. And there were a couple of groups of teenagers. Now, are they teenagers that are in high school or 14? I can't tell anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> no, I can't either. do that kind of carbon dating to any specificity. <laughs> They're anymore. all young. Yeah. Reading, em- they clearly just got Emily Henry books and were sitting outside there reading them together. And great. What a great outing to have as teenagers together on a sunny day to drink yes. um, iced coffee and, and read a book outside. But I was like, that's how, like, it's sort of taken the place of, I don't even know, I guess it's the equivalent, like when Sharif and I were talking about the 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 world that was 2013 for YA dystopias. Mm-hmm. That, sells, that selling market has gotten eaten up by commercial romance. Yes. That's what I realized about. Mm-hmm. It's like, these people were reading The Hunger Games and Divergent 10 years ago. And instead, they're reading Sarah J. Moss and Emily Henry and Taylor Jenkins Reid. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. It is. Uh, is that a more desirable world than other? Who am I to say? Yeah, I'm a 45-year-old white guy. Who, it's not my... I mean, don't solve for me. But it is notable that there's going to be... That kind of reading interest wants to go somewhere. And this yeah. is where it's gone, and which I find very, very I think it means we should expect or at least not be surprised when whatever the teenagers are doing 10 years from now is a different yeah. genre Yes, trend. That's yeah. just how these things go. Yeah, I wonder what it would be. That would be fascinating yeah. to know. Maybe you know what would be a good Patreon things. episode? It would mm-hmm. be, let's look at the last 15 years of end-of-year bestseller lists and like – Pick them in order to the world we want to – how close they mirror the world we'd like to live in. Okay. Which list would you – so you had to pick one to be the bestseller list of next year. Mm. Which one would be that? And I don't know. That sounds a little bit like which piece of the sidewalk would you like to lick? But maybe we could figure that out. <laughs> I think it ends up being just our version of what happens when folks vote on the uh, seasonal – drafts where it'll be like the book that I really loved came out in this one year so I'm just going to take that year <laughs> I would take that though if a book you yeah. really loved came out and it was one of the top 20 yeah, best selling books of the year I mean there was a world in which Educated was like the number one nonfiction book of the year or Breath Becomes a- Yeah, that's something that, that mm-hmm. is something different than this yeah. um, anyway let's do another sponsor break okay uh, we got to talk about Obama this morning, hot off the internet, Barack Obama's summer reading list. The question I want to ask you first before talking about specific ones is, I know he doesn't listen to first edition. I know this, Rebecca. <laughs> but what I'm going to ask you is, does this list raise or lower the very slim chance that he does or someone on his staff does? Does this oh, look okay. like the kind of list you might come up with if you'd been listening to us talk about it books of the month on first edition for the last few months? It doesn't not look like a list that could be produced oh, by that. Kiss your sister. It's a tie. Okay, tell me why. Well, I mean, it looks like a Barack Obama summer reading list. Yeah. And the Barack does it? Obama I mean, yeah, I guess it does. Is, I mean, Poverty by Matthew yeah, Desmond is would be, I would have wagered a substantial amount of money yes. that this was going to yes. be on the list. Yes. The Barack Obama summer reading list is defined by the presence of usually mm-hmm. some sort of like suspense book. And in a year where there's an S.A. Cosby book, it's going to be that one. That book is on What here. a look for S.A. Cosby. Yeah. Just 
Every time. Bang, bang, bang. It's it's good to be S.A. Cosby right now. Uh, there's going to be a dad book. We've got The Wager by David Gran. There are going to be some socially, politically conscious works yeah. of nonfiction. So you get Poverty by Matthew Desmond. You get King, A Life by Jonathan Eig. You get What Napoleon Could Not Do by D.K. Neuro. And then mm-hmm. there's going to be like a grab bag of unobjectionable contemporary fiction. Like nothing too edgy. But it'll be interesting. And there's are you, are you, are, is that what the alternate name for Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano yes, was? Yes, unobjectionable that, unobjectionable yeah, literature. That's also known as what Rebecca Shinsky will buy her mother-in-law for Christmas. This is the Anne Patchett yeah. Award for, like, it's reliable. It's How good. dare you? Anne Patchett. Okay, that's a different... Power ranking the Anns, Ann Tyler, Listen, Ann Enright, Ann Napolitano. Ann we can do that, too. She's got a pocket, and it's a good pocket, but it's a pocket. And yeah. Like, I'm just a, saying it's up the sartorial ladder of pockets from yes. Ann Napolitano, but that's a different... <laughs> that's true. Ann Napolitano, like, I'm doing her a favor putting her in the Ann Patrick Yeah, that's right. Pocket. Ann Napolitano is thrilled that you just said that. Uh, and Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catton. Also interesting, kind of edgy. The nerdiest pick, fiction. I think. Would you yeah. say Burnham and Wood by Eleanor Catton? This one yeah. has a surprise pick, Blue Hour by Tiffany Clark Harrison. Which She's got to be thrilled today. I hadn't heard of. Debut novel. It's a paperback yeah. original from Soft Skull Press. If you think I didn't write down its Amazon ranking today and then make myself a note to check its Amazon ranking next week. In 24 hours. See, yeah, yeah. It's a great one. I think yeah. the smallest press book I've ever seen on this list. Oh, maybe? It's very unusual for a non-Big Five book to make it. I yeah, guess Big Five plus Norton. It's unusual for there to be a title unusual. on one of these that I, that one of us hasn't heard of. We haven't heard of, yeah. For sure. Um, but a lot of these are big names. You got, I mean, Dennis Lehane, hard to get bigger than that. I put so. that on the it book list, and I was feeling right. weird about it when I did. I was like, does anyone care about Lehane? You know who does? Barack Obama. Barack Here's Obama. your validation. That's <laughs> Maybe he validation. listened and he validation. Was like, you know what, Jeff O'Neill, I'm going to validate you. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that he would do it by picking Dennis Lehane. <laughs> yeah, and so like I think Obama's probably reading more than this, and this is the public, like yeah. the publicly shareable list that he and his team of advisors feel it, like is a good, you know, representation of him and safe for mm-hmm. the brand to put out there and so it makes sense to me that a lot of the same things that show up on like big books possibilities for it books are the things that he's reading or having recommended to him and also you know they're you know widely acceptable unobjectionable or less objectionable like if you're on the if you're a lefty and you voted for obama and you're still paying attention to these lists you're not going to have a problem with anything in any of these books no no um so it's it looks like an obama list with maybe two wrinkles I guess I would throw in there. I would love to uh, have a Barack Obama's book podcast recommendations. Maybe he'll he'll join us. We should tell him if you want to be a trendsetter, you can listen to the Book Riot show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so you you answer my question: is it it doesn't move the needle? It looks like about yeah. like you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's list. fine for you. That's fine for me. <laughs> um. Oh boy, there's not a lot of fun news here. More authors doing AI stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, now we're talking thousands of authors. Yeah. Um, we got a, we got two out of the gates, and then the rest followed. And I think it makes sense that there's a little bit of a mass action here. Now, I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know the last time thousands of people signing a letter for anything to happen <laughs> actually happened. Did, did, what was the last time something happened? When thousands of people signed a letter. 
That's a great question. And this is a letter. Or he comes like, you know what? Thousands of midlist writers <laughs> have kindly emailed us. I think we, we have we thought about this, guys. Maybe we. I, I don't understand what they think is going to happen. It's a letter urging AI companies to stop using their work without permission. But in sure in this piece, one of the attorneys asks, "How can you tell?" if an AI has actually been trained on the work or just on the other summaries of the work that exist on the internet. Yeah. And that, as I've said for the last like two or three weeks running, is the burning question of this whole story. Um, Discovery, they, baby. Yeah, you got to file some papers. Yeah. Do they know that yeah. their books are being used or do they just suspect that their books are being used? Um, how will this, like, I would like to see how this comes out in discovery from someone. Yeah. That'll be very interesting. But yeah, I don't think a a, a letter is going to change the AI company's perspectives. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't seem that way. Yeah. That doesn't. Uh, I, there is also something to say for getting your name on the right side of history, if that's what you sure. think the right side of history is. So I do understand that. But as a practical matter, this is going to be centered with lawyers, um, if at all. Yeah. So that, but that's also happening. But uh, yeah, uh, this this one really is a strange one. The Smithsonian abruptly canceling an Asian American literary festival just weeks before it was supposed to take place. I kept staring at this, and I don't know what happened. Yeah, it. Everything that I've read about this leaves me with uh, the deep feeling that. But we are missing a lot of important information. There's a, there's a lot of information missing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that it says that the Smithsonian says it was canceled due to like event planning issues. Folks that were on the planning committee have issued their own response that a link to that response will be in the show notes also saying we you know we were having planning meetings until very recently the content here that they're objecting to is like i kind of speculating that it was concerns about controversial content and that controversial means lgbtq and trans focused content but i, I understand that no evidence that for that guess, as far as i no can tell yeah. for that would be kind of a surprising move on the Smithsonian's part for that. Like, I would be surprised if the Smithsonian were worried about that I controversy. Would too. Right? Like, for yeah. how the Smithsonian tends to operate. It's not the kind of institution that is afraid right. of exploring those kinds of ideas or providing a, a platform for those kinds of discussions. It, it This is very mysterious. Um, mm-hmm. I I kind of think that's all I have to say. Like we we don't know. It feels to me like the Smithsonian is giving the kind of statement that a large institution makes about something like this, which just kind of by virtue of being a statement from a large institution cannot contain much useful information. Like they're not going to reveal a whole lot of the detail. And then other folks who have been involved are sharing the pieces of information and experience that they have. But the puzzle is very far from complete in my reading of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't understand. The statement is from the Smithsonian. After careful review and to fill our commitment to Asian American communities in the best light possible, the decision was made to dis- – to ex- I love the passive voice. The decision was mm-hmm. made to explore other options, including a virtual format for this year and a different and larger public event next year to increase our local and national reach. So I was saying next – I mean, they're they're writing a check there yeah. with their mouth for next year. So 
I guess we're back into this speculating wildly game, but welcome to the Book Riot podcast, <laughs> all of you that have come from Oprah Daily. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm joking, of course. Um, what the, What's the old saw of never attribute to malice what can be explained with incompetence? Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that's like maybe someone dunned up. Oh, I'm going to have to yeah. bleep that. And <laughs> they didn't book the mall or whatever, and there's going to be some other event in the thing there. Like, yeah. I- I would almost that would make more sense to me. Yeah. I will, you know, my eyes are open enough that there could be any number of political things about trans LBTU rights that maybe sure. someone really did, you know, do do a do a do a bigotry uh, behind the scenes to do this. That's certainly possible. I guess in my probability ranking, I think I would put some sort of screw up logistically that they couldn't do it or they didn't cross mm-hmm. an I or T. And like, oh, my God, we have to cancel this because – and I can't finish the sentence, but you hear what I'm doing. Right, there. right. Yeah. I think that's a wise guess here, absent any further information about this. Yeah. And it's like – At it's the a very, very least, a terrible look for the yeah, Smithsonian. Like, terrible stuff. Right. Yeah. This is not a great look. I wouldn't want to be doing PR on any side no. of this. Um, it would be a lot less weighty if this were just like any other – literature yeah. event that got historical canceled. fiction society or right something. but because there have been so many attacks on asian americans mm-hmm. and there's just so much active racism that they experience it really really sucks to have this happen and i totally understand feeling like it must be connected to that yeah we just we just don't know and um, it might be you and I, I mean, don't, i'm not yeah, saying it it's not be. at all yeah, i it, it right. might be it, it very well might be you and i today don't know that it is, but I understand why people involved and those impacted and just members of the Asian American community who see this happen would be upset by it because without info about what the screw up was that led to this, you can cast all kinds of things onto it. And given the current environment, that's a reasonable thing to cast onto it. It's a reasonable guess. Um, yeah. I hope we get some more information about this. I would like, um, I think I would like for people to know if it was just a screw up, like, then you can know that it was just a screw up and this is one less That's right. attack. And if there That's was, right. if somebody did a bigotry, then that also needs to be dragged out into the yeah. light of day. Um, but I'd like for people this to vague, have some It did not meet our expectations for the event. Right. Like, you, you got, yeah, if, if it was really a screw up, someone's got to fall on their sword here. Right. Because otherwise it just, it, everyone assumes the worst intent. And I don't blame them a second for doing right. so. Right. I don't blame them a second. I would find it Strange. It would be outside of one standard deviation of my expectations for that to be the case, but it wouldn't be outside of my, you know, possibility set here. Exactly. This reads to me like there was some logistical problem, but someone needs to say that's what it was, mm-hmm. and that person is fired or yeah. whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know how these things are put together, but like, if that's the case, you got to be clear. Otherwise, right. it looks like there, it, systemic it, bias. It's important to have some sort of public accountability for whatever this was and this kind of general yeah. statement doesn't allow space for any of that so yeah i, I like you i totally understand mm-hmm. assuming or wondering or worrying that this was about bias um my my best guess is it's something much more banal than that and that the smithsonian really underestimated what a response to this would look like yeah. when they gave such general well that's a great language. point yeah. that's a great point they thought you know an event's been canceled and People are going to be like, oh, that sucks. I guess I'll go next year. And that does not what this looks like no. from yeah. what seems to be some pretty poor 
Public messaging. Uh, Frontless Foyer, I mentioned Covenant Water. Anything uh-huh. you want to shut out? I, I've got a couple yeah. of things. But. I've been reading a new book by, I don't know if you've heard of him, Colson Whitehead. You got there. Mine came today. <laughs> I did. I got Reviews there. have been good, but I don't know who's going to slag the CW out here anymore. These <laughs> yeah, yeah, not on this particular street. It's enjoyable. I'm not right. all the way done. Um, I really appreciate the Colson Whitehead flavor of like heisty novel. It's summer read. Summer read Colson. Yeah, summer. It, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Colson's got on like his linen slacks and he's sipping a mojito Eating or something. Eating a sandwich. Yeah, he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's you know this is not S. A. Cosby. It's like slow moving. You can kind of feel that it's summer in New York in these books. Um, yeah, I just love. I mean, it'd be great sentences, real characters. It's it's great. This is not. I was telling a friend. Yeah. This is not my favorite Colson Whitehead flavor because he can be so much like sharper and weirder yeah. and innovative but it's fun to see colson whitehead have this channel i am enjoying my reading experience um mm-hmm. yeah my only other not quite front list came out last year but i just picked it up recently is um embrace fearlessly the burning world it's barry lopez's last collection of essays oh barry lopez i know that is the correct noise to make about <laughs> Wow. This. Um, it's beautiful. It's Barry Lopez writing about traveling all over the world and coming from the place he comes from, of like that travel, especially in a really immersive way that he does it, is about witnessing the ways that other people and other cultures live, taking in what nature looks like in a place, not about like conquering or going down your Rick Steves checklist of stuff. And I just love the way that he writes about it like he's on one of his many trips to antarctica in one of the chapters and there is a description of like being on like jeff you should never go on a cruise to antarctica first of all because the drake zero percent chance yeah the there's a better chance is- barry barry obama's <laughs> listening right now there's a better right. chance of that than me ever getting on a ship yes. to go look at penguins on ice floes right where you have to cross not the, happening. the drake passage which there's not just, enough dramamine in the world i need an iv not. But he, I texted the passage to a couple of friends that like I'm talking about going to Antarctica with in a few years, and he's like, "You are you, you're standing in a hallway of the ship, looking at a man who's walking in front of you. He's holding a glass of like a tumbler of whiskey, and first it looks like he's running downhill, and then it looks like he's running uphill, and that absolutely is just not. how dramatically the I had to close my eyes during changed. certain scenes of Mission Impossible over the weekend. I can't get on a boat. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Barry Lopez did many times, much to yeah. all of our benefits. It's wonderful. If you have not read Barry Lopez, get yourself to Arctic Dreams. Get yourself to, like, really any Barry Lopez book or essay collection you can get to. But this is the last one. It's gorgeous. That's my pitch. What else did you read after 700 um, pages of Covenant of Water? We, I did that. I'm... Um, Halfway through The Country of the Blind by Andrew Leland on audio, which is fantastic. It's unbelievably great. Andrew Leland is a writer, critic, podcast producer who also is, um, to use the phrase he uses, becoming blind, Mm. um, has a congenital condition that has led to a long, decades-long journey towards blindness. And this is his memoir of this, his investigation of blindness – um, he's a writer who's going through something extraordinary, which these, as memoirs go, yeah, and put it in my veins along with the Dramamine aboard the SSS. <laughs> never in a million years. Um, 
Also, his grandfather's Neil Simon, so he has like it comes oh. from a literary legacy, and he talks about that a little bit. Okay, yeah, has a little bit of a cushion. He ta- and he talks about privilege and mm-hmm. disability, and um, it's really, really good. It's it's going to so be cool. on my. I anticipating among the first rank of of my reading experiences of the year, and I'm okay. only halfway through. That's an endorsement. Um, also, I just I'm about a hundred pages into the Librarianist by Patrick Dewitt, uh-huh. and I, I couldn't be more delighted. It's like. So far, it's like if a man called Otto was written by Patrick DeWitt. It's because it's like an old <laughs> guy who is a former librarian who's kind of he's, – he's not – Otto is like suicidal. So I don't want to make light of that. That's not funny. But this is an older guy. He's a retired librarian. He's single. And he's in a routine. And, he, and the phrase not unhappy appears a lot of times, which is all you kind of need to know. And he kind of stumbles into this senior community center and starts volunteering there. And he starts interacting with these characters who are like a 10-year-older gap. You know, he's like 70-ish and they're 10 years older. And so we kind of see what's coming. And he's like, you know, charmingly recalcitrant and they're quirky. But it's also not It's also not that. It's also not the avuncular, defanged, aren't old people charming. Mm. Like it's, it's elevated above that. I find it very, very good um, so far. I'm really enjoying it. I think- uh, so Patrick DeWitt is becoming one of your guys, right? Uh, you know, he. I, I looked at. I looked at, it and suddenly you look like it's like looking at your credit card receipts. Like Jesus, I do eat pizza every Friday. <laughs> it's like Patrick DeWitt is one of my guys. Like under <laughs> Major Domo, Sisters Brothers, French Exit, oh, yeah. and now this. I'm like, holy crap! Oh yeah, crap. he's on the list. He's crossed over, not becoming. He's he always crossed over for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, I think among we're we're looking at the 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 next rank, uh-huh. right? Not just one of your authors, but something else. Um, yeah. So there's that. I did a fly fishing book, the twelfth of the John Gearock books, of course um, you did. called All the Time in the World. But even COVID intervened. Some mm. of it is his COVID fly fishing. I don't need it, don't want it. But Gearock, I'll, I'll listen to him talk about not Quality. catching fish until he's not doing it anymore, <laughs> and then start owing over again. On the horizon, <sighs> I'm feeling left out about all the sinners bleed, but I know I can't read it. You cannot. So I'm. I, but well, anyway, I'm I'm staring hard at it. I mean, but I'll I don't think I can. I really there, want to, really but don't I don't want should. to. I don't like this, but hmm, I don't like that. I wish I wish it was different. I was a little surprised. I'm a little surprised not to see either the late Americans or Yellowface on Obama's list. I just get that oh, out. Yeah, I forgot to mention that before we got out of the. Out of the muck. And I'm doing some pre-reading of stuff coming up on first edition. Do you think people care if I spoil what I'm no, who's coming on the show? Care. No. James McBride is gonna oh. come on and do a reading live segment. We're gonna talk oh. about his life as a reader. James McBride. So mm-hmm. I have I'm reading Heaven at the Grocery Store. That's the next um after I'm done do it. That's my one. next print book. I'm okay. so excited I can barely breathe. I have that coming up. Country of the Blind is my thing I was planning to pick up next, so I'm really excited after hearing your pitch yeah. for that today and get to talk got, about i get to talk about shakespeare with some people or uh, yes. one person i get to talk about the iliad with the trans emily wilson who's mm-hmm. the the great translator her edition of the iliad is coming out september i'm going to talk to her i'm going to try to talk to her about only one sentence my favorite sentence <laughs> oh. in western literature is in book nine of the iliad i hope she'll talk with me about it she has tattoos of horses that are named in the iliad so mm. i i can't even approach i mean so. i know but even the <laughs> You know, this is a basic. It, this is basic so thing for her to talk about one like sentence. Seven-hour episode. We should all be bracing ourselves for. 
Yeah, it's going to be like a rushing nesting doll of a podcast where you keep mm-hmm. listening and there's another episode inside <laughs> of it and it keeps expanding. <laughs> It'll be your version of what Oprah is doing for Covenant of yeah. Water. <laughs> I'm talking to Courtney Thorson. This, um, she wrote a book called The Sisterhood about um, this cohort of black women authors in the 1970s and their support systems and their careers mm-hmm. and their cool. relationships to each other, you know, centered on a little writer named Toni Morrison. Never heard of her. Um, you and Vanessa and I are going to do a 25 years of You've Got Mail in September. How excited are you for that? <laughs> so I am so excited for that. And speaking of Toni Morrison, we are going to do a 25th anniversary reading of Paradise oh, for the man. Patreon next month. You and me. Yeah. So those are things to come. So check that out. So the, that that bleeds in the front list for you because I do the homework, Rebecca. I, if you come you, on my show, I'm going to read your book. I'm pretty sure that first edition exists to give you a reason to do more homework. Just to shape it into something. <laughs> right. You can check that link in the show notes there. Uh, to first edition, link in the show notes. All the stories we talked about today, bookriot.com slash listen. You can choose the email podcast at bookriot.com. We're going to record a Patreon episode here in five minutes about Rebecca's sojourns into the wider world. So stick around, you know, sign up for the Patreon if that's something you're interested in. Patreon.com slash Book Riot Podcast. Uh, thanks to Charlie over yes, at uh, you, Oprah Charlie. Daily for a shout out and, and making us feel good today. And thank you all for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful summer. Yeah.